the following has been approved for the best audiences. It's Geek Top 5! Yay! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And there are five cool things that just happened in the world of Geekton that we want to give you the details on. Coming in at number five, StarCraft Re... What is this? Remastered. An important distinction. Remastered, not remake. Yes. StarCraft, 1998. I like. Okay, if you're a geek, you, you know StarCraft. Real-time strategy game, computer game, Blizzard Entertainment. We don't have to go into the details? We have to go into the details a little bit. All right. So real-time strategy, that's where it's a top-down view. You've got characters, you build buildings, you build units, and you fight other people who have done the same thing. Yeah, it's a war strategy game. Uh, it's told in a space opera theme. But what StarCraft is known for has been sort of launching video games to the next level. We were talking a few episodes ago about professional gaming. Mm-hmm. StarCraft is one of the games that made that happen. You can pit players' strategies against one another. I mean, it's it was huge in Korea, right? Yeah, it took over Korea. It, it, I, I think it has an official like standing in the parliament now. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's Korea's official game. It right? sold 10 million copies in 10 years. Um, it's everywhere. Like everyone has it or has tried it or knows. Like it's 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 part of the zeitgeist. Yeah. Um, may have liberally borrowed from some Warhammer 40k stuff, but that's neither here nor there. That was a long time ago. It was 1998. That's just a scary thing to say out loud. Uh, <laughs> since then, there have been sequels. StarCraft II came out as a trilogy, which is one of those stupid, confusing video game things. Was never quite as popular. What Blizzard is doing now is essentially they're, again, remastering StarCraft in HD for modern machines. Uh, What this means on a technical level is mostly the same game. It will play exactly the same, but now it'll support a widescreen monitor, and it won't look like garbage. They're redrawing all the sprites, like all the the pictures they use to animate the characters, that kind of thing. It's been uh, improved for 4K TVs and, and all that. Yeah. I have to say, though, I watched a trailer, and maybe it's because I was watching it on YouTube and watching it on a, just a regular computer monitor, but they did the thing where they're like, here's what the original looked like, and here's what the new one looked like, and... It did I, not look that no, different, I no. I could not tell the difference. That's the thing. Video games have gotten into a weird place where they've been doing this lately with... Uh, it's sort of the video game equivalent of a reboot of a movie franchise, like a remaster or a remake. A good example would be the Ocarina of Time. It's one of the most famous Zelda games of all time. It came out in Nintendo 64. They made an HD version for the Nintendo 3DS, the portable, where uh, graphics are all much sharper, and they corrected a lot of bugs, and they redid a lot of stuff. It's actually a significantly improved way to play that game. This, as you know, why they're saying remaster and not a remake is because the game isn't actually changing a remake would imply they're doing it again with the most modern technology and new art and like new ways to this is the same game it just it they've improved it just enough so that it looks okay to play I guess so but it just feels system. like if if that's the case then maybe don't have the before and after shot where nothing looks yeah. different well let's be fair if like just to be sure and I did this exact same thing you did so just to be sure I went and called up the trailer on a 55 inch TV and I said okay let me see what this looks like what it looks like is, when you see the old one, it looks like a millions years old game, right? You can see the individual pixels to the point where it doesn't look like a character anymore. It looks like oh, little okay. pixels. Now, because it's, you know, it's so much higher definition, there's so many more pixels, so it's everything's smaller, so it, it looks like art again. All right. Instead of just a sense. collection of little colored squares. But do you think if I'm playing on my regular home laptop, I'm going to notice the difference? You will probably notice the difference moving from one to the other. It's not going to blow you away. Right. You know, like, 
we, whenever a video game frame, like, you know, when Mario Kart comes out on the new Nintendo, he goes, wow, it looks a lot better than it did on the old Nintendo. When a Zelda game comes out, Nintendo isn't even the best example of that. Think of something like the Call of Duty games. Sure. No, the new Call of Duty game, and that's volumetric lighting. Whatever which, that means. Fine. <laughs> God rays. It doesn't matter. Okay. That's what a remake would be. This is just a remaster. It's the same thing, and they've just dolled it up just enough so that it doesn't look like absolute garbage on the computer. The question is, why bother? The only thing that comes to mind is that StarCraft and its big expansion, Brood War, are still very popular on the esports scene, on the pro gaming scene. Right. There are like pro StarCraft gamer personalities who went to compete in StarCraft II and then sort of downgraded to Brood War. Hmm. And they're still having tournaments on that. So now there's a fancier version of it. Now, is that, I mean, so maybe it makes more sense to have them playing that one? Why do you think that is, though? Like, why, what was what was so off-putting about the StarCraft II multiplayer experience that sent people back to StarCraft? I don't think it's even that off-putting. I think it's just StarCraft has a reputation for being, like, a perfect strategy game. Okay. They spent a lot of time, like, it was great on release, and they spent a lot of time since adjusting the unit balance and making everything like making everything perfect it's considered the example of it starcraft 2 is good but it never quite hit that level of recognition now we're talking 20 years later for the original starcraft shouldn't people be giving starcraft 2 some time they have been and it's just not as popular hmm. my way to deal with that would be to improve starcraft 2 or maybe even make a starcraft 3 right blizzard has decided instead to sort of go back in time you know, it's like uh, uh, Street Fighter has a, a big multiplayer fan base as well in tournaments. But, you know, once they move on to Street Fighter 4, I don't see them... They're on 5 now. Yeah, yeah. So I don't see them going back and remastering Street Fighter 2 and, and like... Well, you say that, but the Street Fighter 2 HD remake is available on the Nintendo Switch. Fair enough. So that's the world <laughs> we live in. It's bizarre. It seems like... It's only really going to affect professional sports league, which we know a lot of folks here still aren't paying attention to. But the takeaway, you're right. For one, if you want to play the original StarCraft for free, you're going to be able to get that soon. And if you're looking at it and thinking, man, this really looks like garbage, I wish it was just smoothed out a little, this summer, for a reasonable price, you can get it remastered. and It'll look a little bit better. Hopefully reasonably priced anyway. Well, we'll see. Number four on our list. So Elon Musk... He's sort of our less drunk, less interesting version of Tony Stark. Yeah, um, I, I love this. We're going from, from sci-fi to just sci. Yeah. It's a sci-fi. Sci-fact. Sci- science fact. <laughs> Elon Musk the, is the Tesla guy, the SpaceX guy. Like, this is a, a, genius, a genius millionaire who doesn't fly around in a suit of power armor. That we know of. <laughs> That's his bodyguard. Right, yeah, it's just his bodyguard. <laughs> um... He, in addition to all that crazy stuff, he is founded Neuralink. I, I don't know how to dance around this. They want to make artificial intelligence that's going to merge with your brain. Well, I can't say it and make it sound real. I, right, uh, but I think the thing that makes it even more unreal is part of the reason he wants to do this is out of a fear for the advancement of, of AI. As artificial intelligence gets better and better and smarter and smarter, he is concerned that humans are going to be completely replaced by artificial intelligence or destroyed by artificial intelligence. So this is his solution, to, to put chips in people's brains so that they can compete, which... For the record, is the synthesis, the green ending to Mass Effect 3, but... <laughs> but it also <laughs> says to me, it's like, 
where what's the borderline then like where when does that not become artificial intelligence as well or even how is that freaking possible <laughs> is what i was thinking i don't know right. about you that is a like even artificial intelligence if you like go through all of science fiction and add up all the good ais versus the bad ais the bad ais have them outnumbered cuz yeah. that, that's scary to us and even even the good ais are treated with a certain level of skepticism and yeah. concern the cyborgs like the merged human i mean like listen that's the borg yeah that's that's borg that's robocop that's the cybermen cybermen to a to a certain degree the sexy cylons in the new battlestar galactica <laughs> not so much the classic cylons we don't like that as a, as as a species. It's a, it's a whole. I guess if you were being a philosopher, you'd say that this is the other fear of the other, right? And uh, the assumption that like the machines, they don't they don't have the same values we do. And but it's also extra scary because it's, an, it's not an other from another planet yeah, or, or from outside. It's they're in other, our heads, yeah, and that we created. So, are we going to see this in a few years? Like you can, it will come with your Tesla. No, scientifically, this is still a ways off. The only bit of actual science I could find for this is that the the company is researching like what's colloquially called a neural lace, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially you take like a mesh, think of it like a net that wraps around your brain, and when your brain releases chemicals and like when neurons are doing stuff, that mesh can like interpret it sort of digitally. I think. Right, I saw something about it being able to transmit your thoughts to another computer, and well, that like so if like if it can measure your neuron activity and your chemical activity and translate that into ones and zeros, like then it would know what you were thinking, and then your thoughts could become a digital equivalent. So if you wanted to think, oh, I'm gonna, I wish it was a little warmer in here, and you would think up the thermostat. Right, that's the idea. It's also a gross oversimplification of the technology. I'm a geek, not a scientist. <laughs> I think the the best part of this the part that i think we can all agree on is the the medical uh, aspect of this which is really the first step and it's already being implemented in, in small doses where it's being used to help control parkinson's parkinson's or, or limit the uh the effects of parkinson's yeah. but let's be clear like those are implants you know to try and like supplement a damaged brain this isn't a thinking artificial intelligence right there's a gulf of difference between those two things but but that's that is at least for now what they're aiming for i think anything beyond that is is for the distant future okay hopefully distant future where we don't have to worry about it maybe <laughs> but i think for now controlling epilepsy or or uh, parkinsons or dementia these are things that we can all or depression these are all things that i think we can get behind to a certain extent, right? Ideally, yeah. I mean, ideally, even the sci-fi, like, you know, pie-in-the-sky dreams of, like, let's use this to make ourselves super smart and be able to interface with technology and, like, you know, just make ourselves so much better than we were before. In theory, that's great. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how we recognize ourselves as a species, look at our fiction. Whenever we've thought about this, it scares the bejeebers out of us. <laughs> And if anyone else in the world had proposed it, you'd roll your eyes and move on. It's one of those things where lots of cool technology things come out. They say, we're working on X, and it never happens. Does anyone else remember solar roadways? Like, that never happened. It was a terrible idea, and the technology isn't there. Right. But Elon Musk said, I want to make electric cars. He made electric cars. Yeah. He said, I want to go to space, and he built rocket ships. <laughs> and they're now firing rockets into space. This guy is rich enough and smart enough that when he wants to get something done, he gets it done. Can he merge our minds with an artificial... Like, there's no artificial intelligence yet, as far as we know. This is a weird thing. We've, like, we're so 
interested in like, in our fiction as a reflection of how, like, how we perceive ourselves. We're thinking, what is thinking? Those really deep questions that you usually yeah. have in the middle of the night when you should be sleeping. Elon Musk is just going to go, ah, okay, let's figure it out. Let's see what happens. And I think I've seen four movies that started that way. <laughs> Yeah. That were post-apocalyptic movies. Yeah. That guy usually starts out a hero and is a villain by the end. Yeah. So I don't want to be poo-poo. Like, I don't want to be anti-science here. But I'm saying maybe we've got to keep an eye on this one. If nothing else, it's fascinating that someone's doing it. I love that we live in this time. Right. So speaking of terrible mergers between man and machine, <laughs> <laughs> our number three on the list is the Reboot Reboot. So much fun to say. Yeah. So Reboot was a sort of cartoon that was... It was the first fully, like, CGI computer-animated cartoon series. And it was Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Made by the same people who made the Transformers Beast Wars uh, uh, cartoon series. Also phenomenal. Yeah, it did have uh, a partner in the States as far as broadcast. So our American listeners, whoever you may be, probably are are also aware of it. But, you know, as Canadians, it has a, a fond place in our hearts. I was sort of surprised reading this. I mean, the math doesn't actually add up that well, but there were four seasons, but the show lasted from 1994 to 2001, so I guess there were some breaks in there. There were some breaks in there, and like some of the seasons were originally going to be movies, right. and they never made it, and yeah, sort of a, not the not the most sterling broadcast career. It was a fun show. It all took place, like, you know, with the, like, what's happening inside your computer? It was like a kid version of Tron. Yeah, where like anyway, and the, like the characters in the computer, they were what they were sprites and binones or something, something, like and that. like the user would load a game into the computer, and they would have to fight the characters in the game, and the bad guy in the show was a computer virus, megabyte, megabyte, and hexadecimal, hexadecimal, eventually. such a cool design for a character, very true, cool name, fun show, cool concept landmark piece of just like technology to make it. And it was one of those shows where it started off very kid-friendly and uh, was funny. Always had a great sense of humor to it. And then as it went on, it became serialized and it got darker and yeah, was it, aimed for an older audience. It got an arc. And, yeah. Yeah, like, and things started to change. Like, it started off very episodic and then evolved. and was Yeah. Great show. Now it's being rebooted. As a series where a group of teenagers get summoned to defend cyberspace. Right. Which is not... Doesn't seem to have anything to do with Reboot and is also one of the most hackneyed plots. Uh, Oh, really? They get sucked into the computer world, huh? Never heard that one before. Yeah. This is the most uninspired, uninteresting plot for a television show. And the fact that they're throwing the Reboot brand on it I, sh- I should have looked this up before the show. Is there a word for, like, when you throw up a little, like, in the back of your throat, and you catch it, like, you swallow it back down, but there's that acid... I think the word is, like, is it ew. I think that's okay, the word is that, that. Yeah, that's the reaction I had. <laughs> the first thing, and what we posted on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash geektop5, was uh, a picture of the teens, the cool teens that are going to be the stars of the show. But since then, they've also posted an image of what the show's going to look like in the CG realm. And that looked, it looked a bit more like traditional reboot, but, uh, you know, higher pixel count, you know, looked a little better. But, I mean, gee, like, like, take a lesson from Michael Bay, for God's sakes. No one's interested in your human teenagers. Okay, so (sighs) here's here's the, uh, the sort of Plot summary. You're going to love the the last line, I think. All right. So here we go. After playing the multiplayer Cyber Guardians video game together, 
Four teenagers are recruited by Vera, the virtual evolutionary recombinant avatar, Ugh. to fulfill their mandate to mend and defend cyberspace. Ugh. Austin, Tamra, Parker, and Trey now must protect cyberspace from threats that pose true consequences to both the virtual and real world. Ugh. It's more than these kids expected when they started at Alan Turing High. Ugh. Way more. And I, I just... <laughs> Did somebody at YTV like some like, like this? This is an evil CEO thing, right? Like this is like everyone leaves the room and then he like clasps his hands behind his back and looks out the window across the city and starts to like, maniacally laugh like a sideshow Bob laugh, right? <laughs> That's what this is. I, as far as I know, the original creators are on board and have been working towards uh, a new reboot stuff for for decades, like since the show went off the air. None of that had anything to do with reboot. Well, you know, maybe Bob and Enzo and Dot Matrix will show up and and be a part of this. I don't know. I mean, part of the the premise of the last couple seasons was how uh, Enzo was trying to find his way back to. Well, they they go out into the web and yeah. they get lo- like you f- like their city of mainframe right. and the computer gets connected to the internet. And then they're lost on the internet and all the other computers. It's really cool. Yeah. And they got to try and find Bob because Bob got tossed out into the right. internet. So maybe... But there's all these characters I love. There's a setting I enjoy. There's, like, all this stuff is built in. All they had to do was do that again and, you know, up the quality of the graphics a little and I'm sold. It was that easy. I just, I get the feeling like they did another show. Like, a completely right. separate show and somebody said it's not good enough. Let's tie it to a brand and maybe that'll help sell it. Because yeah. four kids get sucked into a computer to help defend... I mean, first of all, the use of the word cyber, okay? <laughs> like, cyber was already... Like, when George Bush was using the word cyber, we were already laughing at him because of how out of touch he was. It's right. 2017 now. Right. There's no cyber. There's no cyber nothing. <laughs> uh, but I just... Th- like, this seems like a completely separate thing that they stamped the logo on. So it's insulting that it seems like such a crappy generic show... And it's insulting because of how long, like, of all the things to reboot, reboot, reboot. It's in the title. I mean, I'm once again going to play the role of the optimist. I am willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. That being said, when I saw that picture of the four teens, it really, really put me off it. Oh, yeah. It's exactly what you think it is. Yeah. just It's every other stupid, ah, let's just, yeah, let's just move on. It's, it's, do we know when it's coming out? We don't care. I don't think they mentioned anything. Let, let's hope so. it never does. Let me give you one last quick factoid about the original re- reboot. Dan DiDio, who is now a huge muckety-muck at the DC Comics side of things, one of his early executive jobs was working at Mainframe and, and helping to create Reboot or work on Reboot. There you go. Right? Good to see, what, is, he, is, is it his fault? We should ask him. We should ask him. We should him. ask him we should, what he's done. Number two. So that was terrible news, but there's all kinds of good news, um, because the past week has been rife with trailers. I think, check again, check us out at geektop5.com or facebook.com slash geektop5. I think we posted now seven trailers for Valerian, the, the City of a Thousand Fifth Element comparisons, for Destiny 2, for, for Stephen King's It. Yeah. There's so many trailers. Um, All of this is coming out of CinemaCon, which is, a, uh, I believe, a convention for theater owners and stuff to get them pumped about the various movies that are coming out. Yeah, it's definitely on a release schedule. 
Um, the two that, of course, caught our eye, and just because of the natures of who we are, were, of course, the superhero ones. Yes. We got trailers. We got a new Spider-Man Homecoming trailer. Although, special special acknowledgement to War of the Planet of the Apes. I'm always going to bring up the, the ape stuff. That's true. We, we all know you love your talking apes. But, um, but yeah, new Spider-Man Homecoming trailer and the Justice League trailer. Okay, so here are a couple of my thoughts. One of the things that's come out of this is uh, people complaining that Superman isn't in the trailer. My first thought is, well, of course he's not in the trailer. Yeah, he died. He's. I mean, we he's know he's not. Unquote, yeah, died. we know he's coming back. But come on, let's try to keep up the show. So I'm of a couple of minds there. Like, like then there were some uh, posters or something that came out that had Superman on it, and so people are like, "Oh, well, Superman is going to be in it." And I just want to be like, "Well, of course he is. He was on the posters for the teasers stuff for this. Like, of course he's going to be in it." And if you saw the end of Batman vs Superman, there is no doubt that he's. Alive, they didn't try and hide this or sugarcoat it at all. Yeah, so that, that's a silly thing to complain about. Yeah, we can all agree on that. Now, I I thought it was a very nice trailer. What are your thoughts? I I mean, I feel like it was the exact same trailer as the Suicide Squad trailer and the Batman versus Superman trailer. Like it seems like you know, we keep complaining about the quality of DC movies, and they are they're all in. They're saying, yeah. wait, doesn't matter what you think, we're going to keep making them. So I watched this trailer and I. Oh, a bunch of characters that I'm not actually that interested in are quipping at each other and punching CGI. Wow. Well, that was the big thing that occurred to me watching this. It's, uh, it has so much green screen and CGI in it, it makes the Star Wars prequels look like a paradise of practical effects. Yeah, and it's all... like, it, it, And none of it is the focus. Like, the focus is all on these characters, but I don't know any of these characters yet. Because this yeah. is this is the opposite of the Avengers. When you know, I went back to watch the Avengers trailer and to see like, why do I hate this trailer so much? Because when I saw the Avengers trailer and saw all these characters coming together, that was joy. Right. Oh, I can't wait to see how Thor gets along with the Hulk. Yeah. And this all one, these characters you were already familiar with. Exactly. This one, I don't know who this Aquaman is. Yeah. In, in the first bit of the footage, he seemed like a jerk. Now in this one, he's quippy and witty. I don't know anything about him. There's the Flash, who's another Flash, who isn't even the Flash that I'm familiar with. I just, I, I honestly, I uh, from the character stuff, the one that stands out to me, and and maybe this is showing my age, but it's Cyborg. Like he, it, it's definitely a feeling to me of one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, and it's he's a Teen Titan, and I know that's that he's being a member of the Justice League well, in the comics. It's, but it's more than time. that. He, like every yeah, every one of those yeah. heroes is a spandex wearing superpower, and he's a green screen with a face on it. Right. And yeah, to be fair, definitely. it's the trailer. I'm sure it's not done, but the effects of that outfit didn't look great. And I mean, the other thing is the thing that that always set the Justice League apart from the Avengers back in the day is the Avengers. We're just basically Avengers. There's Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. They had their own comics, but they were never like they were never the stars of the Marvel universe. The thing that made the Justice League important and and different was that it took all of the biggest names from throughout the DC universe and put them together on one team. You know, any one of these characters you can identify just from the symbol that they wear, except for Cyborg, who. I just, it really is, is rubbing me the wrong way. Yeah, that's true. You're right. He doesn't have that traditional, yeah. that oomph that the other characters have. So, it's tr- it's tough. Like, we we, we got to remind ourselves we're all very biased against DC right now. Um, but I didn't see anything in that trailer that made me want to go see that movie. Yeah. Um, I I obviously will go see it. I, I'm a sucker. I they have my money as soon as they announce these things, but I'm going in with a feeling of dread. Yeah. 
Now, Spider-Man, on the other hand... Yeah, so I saw it was very excited, and but I saw your response to it in our little text message thread. You seemed less enthusiastic. I'm excited. I just feel like this trailer it committed the same sin as Bats vs. Soups. I feel like from watching the new Homecoming trailer, I could I know exactly everything in this movie. The trailer, for, this trailer, told me everything that happens in Spider-Man up to the climactic final battle. And you know what? I'm willing to bet Spider-Man wins. <laughs> Just, just, uh, I just, I have a feeling that Spider Man is going to come is out your, on top. Is your spider sense tingling? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. You know, remember how disappointed we all were when they showed Doomsday in the Batman vs Superman trailer? Yeah, I feel like this is the same thing. I'm going to go through this movie and be kind of bored because there's, there's not going to be any stakes until the last ten minutes. Because I'm feeling, I feel like I've seen it already. I know what's going to happen. Okay, so my take on that is first off, uh, one of the key parts of the, of the trailer is uh, Spider-Man gets his, his special fancy suit. Yeah, we're, we, we're, we're spoiling this? We're, we're yeah, doing this? Yeah, I mean, it's in the trailer. We talked, we're talking about the trailer. How okay. can we talk about the trailer without talking about All the right, trailer? All right, so yeah, the end of Act 1, like we see like he you know, like bats above his league, and Iron Man has to come bail him out, and, it, and then Iron Man like grounds him and takes away the cool Tony Stark Spider-Man suit. And then he get he goes into his old suit from uh, the that you see at the end of Captain America: Civil War, or no, the middle of Captain America: middle, America yeah. Civil War, like the one he built himself. Yeah, that's like a ski mask. And and to me, I I know it's sort of I don't know it's a storyline we've sort of seen before. The person has to earn the the suit again, but I'm so excited! Like that is the perfect Spider-Man story. And because Peter Parker in the comics makes the suit himself. That's this isn't a story I've seen before, and I know he'll earn the suit back, and he'll show the world the thing. But I'm excited to see how he does it, and I'm so excited to see the performance and that part of it. Yeah, see, I feel like I I know what's going to happen. Like he's going to spend all of Act Two brooding about it and questioning himself, and then the situation with the Vulture is going to escalate, and he's going to go in there to do it anyway. And there's going to be some self-sacrificing moment going where he's going to learn something, and in the end, he's going to save the day, and Iron Man's going to be impressed, and he's going to get a new suit. Okay. Not in fact, I'm willing to put some money down and say not even the same suit. I'm sure it'll be even better because they do that. The Iron maybe, Man suits changed a bunch. Maybe it would be the Iron Spider suit. From oh the man, Civil War. that would be fam- that would be awesome. But... <laughs> See, I'm already surprising you. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be bad. I'm actually I really like their portrayal of all the characters in there. I just feel like all of the movie was in that trailer. I would have I would have liked it to be a surprise. Okay. That they're going to take away the suit, and yeah. like that's what they're investigating. But if a large chunk of the movie, especially any sort of climactic fight scenes, feature him in his old suit, that's you're you're going to see it anyway. Like they have to put scenes from the final fight in the trailers. It's just how these trailers work. You have got to show the stakes. You got yeah, to show the best it, stuff. Yeah, but if you know those quick like half second cuts of action scenes that we have in trailers these days, even if you did notice, you wouldn't know why. Yeah, I guess so. You know, maybe that's all he... Like, he didn't have the super suit on him, and that's what he was wearing under his clothes. Like, that, It wouldn't have mattered. It's just, they laid it all out. And that, that's the only thing that bugged me. I'm not saying it was bad. Right. I'm not saying I'm not excited. I'm super excited. I just... It bugs me that they that they put so much in the trailer. I mean, it, it, is that my fault for watching it? I don't think so. No. Um, either way, it, like, it does look like it's going to be a great movie. It's going to look like... It's got the chance of being one of the best Spider-Man movies, which... Yeah. And the fact... I mean, also it helps that it's going to tie into the MCU, which will be phenomenal. Can't wait to see that one. Total yeah. opposite of Justice League. What a shock. <laughs> Number one. Mass Effect came out. Yeah, so... One of the most anticipated games of the year. Certainly the most anticipated one in this room. Definitely. And it's... Okay. Wow. I, I'm really enjoying it. Right, no, that's, yeah. To be fair, I'm having a great time. I'm playing it way too much to be healthy. 
Um, we were playing together online, and I said, I have to go. My eyes hurt, because I've been staring at the television for like 12 hours. Yeah. Uh, but it's not perfect. Uh, and coming from you know the people who made the Mass Effect trilogy, particularly 2 and 3, which were phenomenal games, it's been getting a mixed response. It's I think on Metacritic it's sitting right now at like 74, 75, just because some people love it and are giving it 90s and 100s. And some people are really upset and giving it, like, 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we don't really do review structures in, in Geek Top 5, but we'll tell you, we're loving it. If you, you liked Mass Effect, you'll like this one. If you like big open-world adventure games, you'll like this one. If you like space operas, you'll like it. There's so many, uh, like, just from a combat thing, and that's re- not really what Mass Effect is known for, but I feel like the, the combat... The chunk of it, yeah. Sure, but it's what you go to Mass Effect for usually is the story. True, yeah. Now, in this, and, and the story is still pretty good from what I've seen, but, uh, and believe me, I am nowhere near as far in as Jesse is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm enjoying the story, but the combat is a lot of fun, and there's so much variety in what you can do. The, yeah, the gunplay is incredible, and they've set but it up it's not so even, that, like, there is, well, it's not only guns. Yeah. It's also your, your, your wizard powers, and also things you can you build stuff, and there's just a million different ways to play this game. And they encourage you to experiment with it. Yeah. So, like, every encounter you can do something new and something interesting, and they're almost all so cool. And I feel like, you know, as by the time Jesse and I have finished the game and we can talk about it without worrying about spoiling stuff for each other, we're going to have very different experiences in, in how we got through the game. Not just in our encounters and conversations, but just in how we fought things, how we used our powers. How we reacted to the environments and yeah. different enemies. Yeah. That's great, and that adds a ton of replay value. If you want it, absolutely, Geek Top Five recommended. That's there. But for the sake of you know, for the sake of covering the news, we can say there are problems, and that a lot of people are upset with. There, I mean, there was a big brouhaha about the quality of the facial animations. For a game where you spend the vast majority amount of time talking to people, looking at people in this game is a little disappointing. The graphics have not come a long way since Mass Effect Three five years ago. And other games, even in the same genre, games like The Witcher you know, that are out now, do that a lot better. The characters look more real. It's just where we're in the point where it's like they're not cartoony enough to get away with it being like their own animated style, but not realistic enough to look like people. So you hit the uncanny valley right in the head. You get weird things where like the head is moving, but the eyes aren't. And you get the impression the eyeballs are just floating there and the head is moving around it, mm-hmm. which is creepy. You see a lot of the same faces over and over. I notice especially with the Asari. I think there are two Asari faces. Okay. A ton of Asari characters. Like, maybe they'll have slightly different colored skin because they're the alien girl thing. But it's all the same face, which is weird. Now, I, I have to say, I am... the. Pretty far from being a hardcore gamer, and and I don't think you would typically qualify as a hardcore gamer no. compared to some of these guys on Twitter. But I have to say, the face stuff, to my mind, as a more casual gamer, was blown way out of proportion. Like it's I, absolutely was blown out of proportion. But that's the internet, right? I agree. I don't think it takes that much away. It's something that I got used to very quickly, but it definitely doesn't look as good as other games in the same genre that's come out right now. So that can bug people. Um, there are also a lot of weird design choices that just seem like oversights. Um, a lot of the management you do in this game, everything from like reading your character's email to what you do with supplies to research and development, it generally all happens from your ship. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is like your base, and wherever you go in the in this in the Helios cluster, you can fly your ship. But why can't I check my email when I'm not on the ship? Yeah, I mean, you can do that in in, in real the present life. day. <laughs> it doesn't sound that bad. We'll go back to your ship. Well, but the game kind of has these weird loading times. Like for one thing, you can't if you go back to your ship, it automatically takes off and leaves the planet. So you have to sit and wait and watch like the like you know the little movie of the ship like dramatically taking off and pointing to the stars and uh, which is masking the loading time of like mm-hmm. unloading the open world environment and loading the inside of your ship. So if you and if you forget to do something, like it's like a ten minute investment. Yeah, and and another aspect of that is the button choices in some of these things. Yeah. Like, when you... In most games, to get into a car and to get out of a car, it's the same button. And just, like, it makes sense. It's intuitive, you know? You press one thing to get in, you press the same thing to get out. In this, you press a button to get in, and then if you press that same button, your car goes into space back onto the ship and it triggers all that loading stuff. So if you're just sort of absentmindedly doing it because that's what you're used to, you can waste 10, 20 minutes unloading a world and then reloading it when you have to get back down mm-hmm. there. And it's that loading time that really is the killer. Like, we're, yeah. we're playing this on standard PS4s. I have to assume it's better on a PS4 Pro or on a PC. Apparently it has similar problems on the Xbox One. They're getting their fancier one at the end of the year. Uh, but the loading time is a killer. The another one, like going through the menus, like for controlling your squad mates, I don't pay that much attention to them. I have them auto level up, mm. which means I don't pick what skills they use. I have like the computer determine what they do, which means that you go to like over them. I think it's a square button to auto level up. Do you want to auto level up this character? Okay, yes, done. I kept finding when I was doing that they wouldn't actually level up. Hmm. So I went in and I watched, and what was happening is I was doing it really quick. Like, go over, select the guy, square button, okay, back out. I had pressed the square button before it had loaded that character's information, so it didn't know that they still had skill points to assign. So it auto-leveled them up, air quotes, can't see it on a podcast, (laughs) for zero points. Whereas if I, you know, highlight it, sat there and counted to ten, then it would load and go, oh, Korra has six skill points available. Like, really... Like, yeah. you know, that's not even, like, a, something to have... Like, it's the menu. Yeah. There's, like, there's there's nothing in there that should be causing that much time. Lots of weird technical oversights that are things that were solved in earlier Mass Effect games. So it's not like they didn't know about them. Just weird things that make the experience uncomfortable. Now, again, that being said, we're having a blast playing it. Yeah, I mean, the, the greatest uh, accolade I can give this game is I have... I've got... I, I, stack full of games that I have played once or twice and then I transition back to playing the NHL game. <laughs> you like <laughs> your hockey game. I do like the hockey game. It has its siren call lures me back and and once I'm back in that game, I usually don't go back to the old game no matter what my intentions are. But this game, I keep coming back to. I keep loading it up. Uh the NHL is at bay, you know? I... Yeah, there's there's so much to do in this game. I'm so interested in doing it all. It's an open world game full of those, you know, like in another game would be BS side quests, but I want to do them all. I want to help these people. I want to do these things. I want to make these changes. I'm so invested in it and they've done a wonderful job of that. So, I guess it's like think of it as an unpolished gem. Now, right. To be fair, this is launch week. Game's been out for... When you're listening to this, it'll have been out for a little over a week. 
A lot of these problems are things that can get patched and improved later on, and we've already seen some feedback from Bioware, from the company, saying they're listening to everything people are saying. There's going to be more support coming, so this game will probably improve over time. But like our, our geek deep dive from a few episodes ago, it feels like this is the sort of stuff, like, like they, they should be releasing a complete game. Yeah, there was no reason not to. Yeah. Yeah, they, they could have set whatever release date they wanted. It's, it, seems, it just seems like a strange oversight. In any case, that's all the news for this week, or at least the top five best ones. We'll be right back with our special guest segment, so please, stay tuned. Welcome to the back half of this episode of Geek Top 5. Uh, I am going to uh, get rid of a lot of this preamble so we can get right into the meat of this list because I'm... Uh, I'm raring for a fight here. I can't even bring myself to say the name of this list. So well, I could name the guest. That would be. A- I don't even want to do that. <laughs> Dave Ansel is back. Hello, everyone, for the last time. Yeah, this is. Uh, you get, don't don't get used to hearing this voice. I guess we should say. Now, would you like to introduce your terrible, terrible list? Uh, my list is uh, the top five issues that I have with issues of Marvel, but. The original title was Why Marvel is Stupid and You Are Stupid for Liking It, which I still contend, if they had named it that, would instantly get a million downloads and half as many (laughs) responses from angry internet nerds. It's possible that some people in the room might consider that an inflammatory topic. Uh, And also, oh, I've got to... Just let's get on with it before I say something Jesse will have to delete later. So so the story of this list is that I never read comics when I was younger and then suddenly started getting into comics. So I got some DC comics and Marvel comics. I always enjoyed Marvel properties more. I really liked the X-Men. I loved the X-Men 90s cartoon show. Who didn't? But then once I started reading the comics i started noticing vast differences between the way that the comics were written between dc or other properties image and marvel so that's when i came up with this top five list number five is the editor's notes now it may seem like something small to most people but to me the way that the editor's notes are presented really take you out of the the comic, or can take you out of the comic. They should be fairly in the background. Okay, so coming coming from the perspective of the person who's listening to this show who didn't read these comics, what do we mean when we mean editor's notes? Are we just talking something in the back, or...? So, in a comic, when a character mentions an event that has happened either in a previous comic or during a crossover in a completely separate line of comics... An editor will put an asterisk in a little box at the bottom and say which issue that they were actually referring to. So it's like a footnote. It's basically a footnote. But the way that it's presented can just be the issue number, Uncanny X-Men, number 139, and then that's it. But for some reason, Marvel likes to do things like last-ish. What's wrong with that? That that actually that like ish is it like that's short for issue. Yeah, yeah. That, yes. that does bug me a little. Actually. It is short for issue. <sighs> this is going to be a long episode. And they insist on putting two dashes and then the editor's name. Yeah, 
So we have, it personalizes it. We have Bobby, we have Louis, but who is the comic book reader asking, you know, being like, thanks, Bobby? I well, am. Thanks for that note. I am that reader. <laughs> really? What do you yeah. get out of that? Okay, first of all, I liked it as when I was a kid, and, and I still do today, even though it's sort of not a popular thing that they do anymore. But I liked it because it it, it was kind of like an ad. It was like, wow, if they're, they're referring to some big thing. If you want to read more about it, this is the issue you have to find. And while I very rarely actually made a point of going out and finding that issue, it made me feel like, oh, there's so much more going on. There's, like, such a big universe, and it made me want to read it. Secondly, having the name of the editor there personalized it made me, like, it's easy to see the works of the writer and the artist in it. You just look at what's on the page. But the editor, whose name is in the the credit box, doesn't have much personality. There isn't much there to distinguish the editor. But sometimes those little editor boxes brought some personality to it and made me be like, well, who is this Mark guy? And I'd go back to the credit box and see his name and be like, all right, well, I'm gonna, I want to know more about this guy. Like, what's his deal? How many books does he edit? Things like that. I, I don't know. I liked it. Really? Do you have favorite editors? There are some good ones, that mostly modern-day ones, like Stephen Wacker was a really good one. Axel Alonso is the editor-in-chief. He does a good job. So when you see, Santa. like, you know, C-X-Men number 43 dash dash Wacker, yeah. like, you're kind of like, hey, that guy... Kind of, and he, but Stephen Wacker in particular would add a lot of personality to it. Like he would write these the the previously in like the recap pages at the beginning, and it would be funny. And and his little things would be like, oh, Matt Fraction, the writer, what a dork for doing this, and that would be in the little editor boxes. So you were worried about the the efficacy, the the facts checking portion of it. I wasn't worried. You would say, oh, thanks, Mark. Good thing Mark's on it. <laughs> no, I would. I, I don't know. I did, but if I, it, but I, if it was I, blank, I, I, you would say, "Who's doing this?" I don't know if that's the correct issue. No, no. What I'm saying is, if it was a blank thing, if it just said the issue number, that's fine. That's that's like that's a, a good piece of information. But to have the editor's name there adds personality. It can add personality, but it also detracts from the story. And how the story is presented, that it's a break from the story, that you're reading the panels, you're reading the dialogue, then all of a sudden you get a giant note at the bottom that says, for that story, gentle readers, check out Machine Man number 19, on sale now, dash Louise. Okay, so that's, I, I can tell you, Louise is Louise Simonson. She's married to Are Walter Simonson. Are you serious? Simon. Yeah. This is the important stuff. <laughs> she's awesome. She was a very good writer as well. Uh, she's so, the, the, so one of the great things about Marvel and what set Marvel apart was they made sure the creators had a lot of personality. And, and you got to know the creators. They, with the, the letters pages and the, the back matter, it would give you a sense of camaraderie and, and whatnot within the, the comic. I've just Googled it. Louise Simonson. Yeah, he's, he's right. Louise Simonson, comic book writer. Yeah. She comes up. She's even got pictures. I guess she's done panels. She's she, fantastic. And her husband's a fantastic artist. She may have the cred, but I just feel like it's superfluous. What do you think, Dave? You Are you convinced? You want to look back at Louise and sort of see what she's been up to? Wheezy to her friends. I, I think I'll just stick to my my other editor's notes. You're, you're wrong-headed opinions. <laughs> All right, so no, no reconciliation on that. Let's. Uh, what's number four? Maybe we can find some common ground here. Uh, number four is the roll call at the beginning of every Marvel issue. Uh, Stan Lee has an idea that every comic book is somebody's first. 
So at for the first few pages of every comic, every single sentence that someone says talking to a character, they will say that character's name so that you can then understand who it is we're talking to, Jesse. And if I <laughs> if I want to then refer to you, Graham, people will then know that your name is Graham. It is a perfectly fine and reasonable proposition. It's just so ham-fistedly done that everyone is just talking to each other, but constantly just tacking the name onto the end. It just... It, it's it's all about uh, the execution uh-huh. of it. Fair so, enough. So what do you think about that, Graham Gordon Beckstead? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I, I think that's a fine argument uh, in a world where we're reading comic books collected in in trades and online, where you can get you know six issues in a row and you just read them one after another. You can read them all in an hour, you know, all this entire run. But back in the day, comics were coming out at best once a month. And you could only get them on the the racks at a grocery store or a supermarket or whatever, or a convenience store. So there was no guarantee that anyone picking up an issue is going to have any idea what happened previously or who these characters are. Please, you look like Poochie, it looks like you have something to say. Ooh. (laughs) So if I come in to, say, Uh X-Men on issue 200, I'm just going to say, you know what? They're probably going to start from ground zero. They're going to introduce all of these characters. And then I'm going to be all caught up with the last 200 issues. If you come in, in issue 200, you should probably assume there's been some stuff happening. There's some characters. Maybe you're going to have to get introduced as you go along. You don't necessarily need to just sound off. All right, everybody check in. Go through the list. Storm, here. Colossus, here. So wait, are you telling me that in Harry Potter 8, or whatever book number it went up to, they didn't introduce the characters again? For, for In case there was a new reader, they just jumped right in as if there was... There were, everyone had to have read everything that came before. I, man, I mean, I don't know about the books, but I know from the movies, like, they definitely... If you start watching those movies without reading the books, I have no idea what's going on. There's a girl dressed as a lion for some reason, and then, like, all of a sudden... Also, if... Really, if you do come in at movie number eight... I'm you, talking about the books. Or, sorry, if you come in at book number eight, you'll have no idea but, what happened yeah. because you didn't read the other ones. But that's the thing. So, it's meant to all be done in sequence. Not with comic books. No one was expecting people to read 200 issues of X-Men in a row from 1960 until 1985 or whatever when issue 200 came out. Don't fact check me on that one. I'm not sure when 200 came out. The life cycle of a comic book fan back then was about five years. You know, you'd have five years of uh, people reading these comics and then a new group of readers would come in. It would be... So they constantly had to reinvigorate the stories, make... Like, like, how many times was the Joker reintroduced? How many times was was uh, did they reboot the DC universe and and have first appearances of characters? It's it's a, a part of the DNA of comic books and part of the DNA of of s- periodical sequential storytelling like that. And I kind of think that's a part of a problem with comics these days, where they've dropped a lot of that, where everything is a story arc, and they may reintroduce characters at the beginning of the story arc. But they don't reintroduce them in every issue. And I think that, I I don't know, maybe I'm old-timey and out of touch, but I think that is part of the reason why the market is dwindling, why there are fewer readers. Because you can't just pick up an issue off the shelf and, and start wherever you want. So not only do you like this, but you think there needs to be more of it. 
I just think it. I, I I think there are better ways to do it than have been done sometimes in the past. That's something you agree on, though, both of you. That is actually exactly what we agree on, is that it's not the fact that they do it, it's how they do it. That if I pick up an issue of Spider-Man and he says, Hello, Mary Jane. Why, hello, Peter Parker. Have you seen Gwen Stacy? Oh, I think that she's at the Daily Bugle with Eddie Brock. And you're... <laughs> You're describing a comic book that these, it could not these, exist. These are the I, first Very lines. frustrating to Yeah, me. Gwen Stacy and Mary J. That's yeah. like, even, I'm, I'm with him on that one. <laughs> I, I, I don't care. <laughs> but, but what so, I'm saying is there's only so many ways to do it. And sometimes it's going to feel a little ham-fisted. And sometimes you're not even going to notice it. Okay, well, we got to move on. But real quick, what would be a good way to do it? One of the things they, they do <laughs> sometimes in comics is they'll put on like a, a splash page early on in the, the issue, they'll put little caption boxes that will identify the character. Sometimes it'll just be the name, sometimes it'll be a name and a description of their powers. So that's a relatively seamless way of doing it. It's out of context, it doesn't interfere with the story. Is yeah. there do we have some common ground that's on that? Fine. Okay, great there. See, we're building relationships. <laughs> this is this is, we're building diplomacy. This is this is a, I, I like we're taking this in a nice direction. What's the next one on the list? I think we can really Okay. We're gonna we're gonna build a federation here. Number three might be the most inflammatory one. It's the diversity checklist, where Marvel has recently looked at their comics, known where they are deficient, and instead of inventing new superheroes that are more diverse, they just take old ones and then just start checking off things on the diversity list. This is the this is Ironheart. There, this there, is X twenty three is Wolverine. This is what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, the uh, Jane Foster the, is Jane Thor. Foster Thor and. Yes, so, you know, you, you look at it, you say, we have Iron Man. He's a white man, so what do we need? Let's see, black, check, this young, is This is where you're going to lose a lot of people. Yeah. Young, now, now let's, check, again, let's make, make sure we're female, in on the same place. You're not saying you have a problem with that. You're saying female, you would prefer an original character. Yes, Okay. it has its now own identity rather than just taking one and saying... All right, guys, guess what? Now Iron Man is more diverse. So here's, here's, this is a, a passion thing for me because I hate this argument. Hate it to death, and I'm really trying hard not to call you names. That's why I brought it. This. First of all, Marvel isn't the only one to do this. DC actually started the trend with characters like Ryan Choi becoming, I believe he was the new Adam, and uh, Jamie something. He was mm -hmm. like uh, the Latino Blue Beetle. So I'm going to put that out there just for a first step that it's not just a Marvel thing. Secondly, Marvel and DC have both done the, created new characters that do fulfill your checklist, your supposed diversity checklist, which is somehow a bad thing. And the characters don't last beyond the attention span of their original creators. If you don't slap a bat symbol on them, or slap a Superman symbol on them, or an X-Men patch, they they fade away to obscurity. But that means that you're then locked into the existing franchises. If you say, oh, well, if he doesn't have a big S on his chest, nobody's going to care, then all you get is Superman. You're not I mean, going to get this interesting new character. But but how many times... Ha can When was the last time you can think of a, a character being introduced that wasn't attached to the trappings of any of the major franchises in Marvel or DC that did last. 
I would say anything by Alan Moore. That's a very vague answer. <laughs> it's not helpful. I could say uh, V from V for Vendetta. V for uh, Vendetta had I, one storyline that that he wrote and uh, David Lloyd drew, and it, he it lasted in the '80s, and no one gave a crap about it until they made a movie that has nothing to do with the comic book. Go on. Well, okay, that's a bit of a. It has a little to do. It has with a the little comic to do. No, with that would comic. say that the mainstream audience didn't care about it. Comic yeah. book audiences cared about it. No, no, no one cared about it. As a comic book fan, I could say it was the most niche of of Alan Moore projects. It was a up until he went even more niche. Book, fantastic <laughs> but, book. I, I I even like it more than Watchmen. Fair enough. Watchmen, another example where Alan Moore created these characters and Dave Gibbons for let's give the full creative team credit mm-hmm. for a twelve issue run, and they weren't supposed to exist beyond that. And until recently, they did only exist in those comics. So that doesn't count either. Okay, recently I've become obsessed with Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing was created in the 1970s. Did yeah. Swamp Thing have a race? Or... <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't... So he's not a great example. He's Alan Holland. He's a white man. Uh, <laughs> is his original uh, form. Yes. So not, again, not a great example, but is not a, a, a recent character, I think. So, but so your argument is, is I mean, we're circling this drain. But you're saying that new characters just don't make it. Pretty much. I mean, if they're not already part of, like, here's an example. There was a character that will fulfill a lot of your supposed diversity checklist that was created in the '90s as a member of the New Warriors, which was a group that Marvel created that I guess most of you guys haven't even heard of. But were they the ones that blew up the school before Civil War? Yes. Okay. So I've heard of them, Graham. <laughs> I uh, uh, her. I don't know her exact ethnicity, but she was not a white woman. She was she was a woman, but she wasn't white. She had crutches, and she always had to use them. She had like uh, she was disabled, so she was a disabled, non-white female superhero mm. who was a member of the New Warriors. Once people stopped caring about the New Warriors, disappeared. She showed up as a background character here and there, uh, but generally a forgotten character. Okay. So what you're saying is. We tried to make new, diverse characters and failed, so we should stop trying. They tried to create new and diverse characters, and nobody cared. And other creators didn't care enough to work on them. But you create Miles Morales, the the black Latino Spider-Man. He's fantastic. Other creators are dying to work on him. He's a member of the mainstream Marvel Universe now. The female Thor, Jane Foster. All sorts of mystery around her. What's her story? All sorts of... Racist people on the internet and sexist people on the internet have problems with her, but she's she's huge. I, I think there are some issues, uh, mostly that a lot of the character remakes are typically better versions of their predecessors as well. So that's what gets people incited. Okay, is but that, what makes them what makes them better? Define better. Uh, that she's like 15 and created an Iron Man suit somehow, got the materials at MIT, and then. Made them. But how does that make her better? Well, because she, she did it instantly. Like I see what you're saying yeah, in that exa- in that specific example. Her backstory is like she's even smarter than Tony Stark was at that age. But I don't know that that necessarily. But I don't think that's true though, because she is is reverse engineering what Tony Stark has already done. Would she have been able to do it without the Iron Man suit already being there? Uh, that's pretty in the weeds. I man. don't think so. But here's the thing: it, it doesn't to me. That's that's. You might as well have a conversation about who's stronger, Thor or the Hulk. It doesn't matter. It's like whoever's writing it. And Tony Stark has been proven to be a genius 
younger and younger depending on the storyline you read. Mm. So it's like it's it's a hard thing to quantify, especially in a comic book yeah. and a character that's been around for almost sixty years. We're gonna have to cut this one short anyway. But Bobby Gate thing. Are we? But are we gonna? St- Let's do there. This is a big touchy one. Please do this. We'll try okay. and keep it short though. Yeah. All right. There's also. Uh, making Iceman gay mm-hmm. because Marvel felt like they needed a gay character. So they took a character with many established heterosexual relationships. Not many. And it's it's not an issue of, well, you know, we don't want a gay character. It's It's just a fact of, well, he's already been in heterosexual relationships. So then you say, well, maybe he's bi. But of course that was addressed in one of the panels where he said, maybe I'm bi. And then she's... Uh, Jean Grey says, but I think you're more full gay. <laughs> and he just looks to the side and says, yeah, I know. Like, you got me. Huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jean Grey can tell that? Okay, so this is one of the interesting... Th- this could be an entire podcast on its own. But one of the things that uh, is is sort of missed in a lot of this is how invasive what Jean Grey is doing is. Like, she's... In, this is a young Jean Grey who doesn't know the boundaries of her powers. And so she's kind of invading his private life by even saying that to him. Like, he didn't ask for that information. He didn't ask her to, to scan his deep, the deepest recesses of his mind and find that. Anyway, but I think that's, but, but that's an interesting character trait. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a bad thing for the character to do, but I think it's a fascinating story point. But that, anyway. that's, an, that's an interesting thing to do to a character, not an existing character, and then suddenly be like, wait, so he was gay all this time? Is he... So, here we go. So, this is a complicated situation because it involves time travel. So, this Iceman... (laughs) (laughs) This Iceman is actually, like, 16 years old, and he's been brought to a, a future that is much more accepting of gay people than... The 1960s, he may or may not have come from. It gets complicated because it's comic books. Right. But, so the the Iceman you're talking about as being in a lot of heterosexual relationships is not this guy. This is That Iceman was a guy who had difficult family issues at home, also had difficulties because he was an mutant. out mutant in a world where mutants are hated, and maybe it was just easier for him to repress that side of himself. And you say he was in many heterosexual relationships... He wasn't really. Compared to other X-Men characters, even Beast had more girlfriends than, than Well, I mean, some of us, if it's more than one, then that's, <laughs> you know, like, but many is relative. Most of his relationships were short. One of them was a relationship with a character that w- had a very fluid gender identity and, like, switched back and forth between being male and female. So that complicates the issue anyway. It's like, of all the characters you could do this with, Iceman was a pretty easy mark. There, that this had actually been toyed with for years. So, are you alleging that that the writers really knew this about Iceman all along? Not all along, but since the '90s, it's been hinted at. Huh. There are a lot of people in the world who live very sheltered lives. There are a lot of gay men who have children with women. It's not unheard of for gay men to have sexual relationships with women, and also time travel. And also time travel. That's a big thing in the gay community. Right. Okay. <laughs> No, that's a perfectly reasonable supposition. Thank you. Okay, we're going to concede that? That's a lick for Graham? Yes. Okay. Yes! All right, what's next? Uh, Number two is the previously in the last issue, where um, with Stan Lee's 
Every comic can be somebody's first. They tend to spend about two or three pages every comic going over what just happened. A lot of times there will be editor's notes with the little asterisk and all the little box will say is see last issue. My issue with this... That does seem like it's that would be pretty obvious, yeah. Is that, yes, so you're coming into the middle of something, you understand that there are events that have happened before, all you have to do is go back to the last issue. If you've been reading already, you know what happened in the last issue. If you don't, you go back and read it. They're like 20 pages. It's not a lot of real estate there to go back and read. And especially because there's not a lot of real estate spending two or three pages reiterating something that already happened. Just, it, it leaves not as much for the storytelling. I will grant you that. There are a lot of times where there are way too many pages devoted to what happened in a recent issue. and Or, or if it's a multiple issue story arc, mm-hmm. it gets, like, reading trades of stories from the 90s and 80s. It just, there you'll get towards the end. And the last issue will have three or four pages or two or three pages or whatever recapping what happened in the, the issues leading up to this. And it's like, if you're reading it in a trade paperback format, mm-hmm. it's exhausting. You're just like, I already know this. I just read this. This doesn't need to be explained to me. But even if I was reading it in singles, mm-hmm. or whatever the term is. Go for it, singles. Sure. Um, if I didn't know what happened before, I could logically guess that I could find out what happened before by reading the previous issue. I feel like that wouldn't need to be indicated to me in an editor's note. Okay, that's fine. But here's here's where I think there's an argument for some middle ground here. Because I was reading this Secret Warriors comic. This is going back, I don't know, maybe as much as ten years ago now. And it was a complicated story of espionage, the, sort of the basis for a, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series. A lot of the characters that are on that sort of debuted in that comic. But when I was reading the issue month, or the issues month to month, by the last issue, when it was starting to wrap things up, it would be like, you know, triple agents happening. And I'm just sitting there reading it like, I have no idea what's happening. I don't know who this character is anymore. I've lost complete track of whose side anyone is on. And it was exhausting. I read it and I was like, I'd finish the issue and be like, well, I, I, if I want to understand this, I'm going to have to go back to the beginning and read the entire series over again. And I just mm-hmm. wasn't willing to commit that much time to it. It wasn't compelling enough to make me want to go back and read the whole thing over again. So that's exactly based what I'm saying is that you can have strategic points for a recap. The show Supernatural that my wife loves to watch. At All our wives love yeah. to watch. <laughs> Before the season finale, they always have a recap of everything that's happened in the season because sometimes the series because sometimes the series because there's a large story arc. Sometimes they're calling back things from previous seasons and. So they do that right before the final episode of the season, but not before every single episode. I still, sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes it's... Well, I mean, let's boil this down. Is the argument that, like, the quality of the storytelling should be better so that it's unnecessary? Or are we, or is it just that this previously on needs to be established in a different way? Like, yeah. what are we leaning to here? Well, back, there was a stretch in the late 90s, early 2000s, where the the front, the, the cover of the issue was like a fold-out. And there, the mm-hmm. two inside pages of the cover were 
uh, one side would be a description of the main characters who are going to be players in the issue Mm -hmm. and a rundown of what happened recently in the comic. Mm -hmm. That was really handy. But I think it ended up being kind of expensive and they decided to cut back on it. But it was a great way of doing it. One of the most handy uh, things I had recently was that uh, I got a, a collected copy of Days of Future Past, which uh, Days of Future Past is actually only two comics long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this included several other comics so that it could go back to the funeral of Jean Grey. And during the funeral, Cyclops is all introspective and he basically recounts Every single thing that had happened to the X-Men, including forming the team, fighting major villains, all of that stuff, going all the way back. So by getting this collected edition, I just knew all of the stuff that had happened in X-Men up until that point. So to have particular issues that Marvel could maybe point to to say, if you want to get into this... This is a great place to start. But they do do that. They do do that. There's a lot of pl- things nowadays where they're... I mean, Marvel is notorious for having so many number one issues these days. Like, like uh, you'll be lucky if a series hits 20 issues before they reboot it with a new number one. But even within that, they'll do, here's the number one issue of this new storyline. Like, even though the, the issue number is actually 15, there'll be a, a number one on it where it's like, this is an entry point for this storyline, so you can pick it up here. But restarting the number and going immediately into a new arc is different than having a comic that at least recaps those other 15 issues. I'm saying that they can it's, label it as, this is a recap issue. This is a thing so. for people mm-hmm. who are not reading it yet to read so that they then they can start reading. The argument there would be, though, that in order to do uh, a, a comic book, you have to rely on the inbuilt fan base. Like, you want to get new readers, but you have to rely on a certain number of people are already going to be interested in buying everything Spider-Man. And if you put something like, for new readers only, maybe only, like, 200 copies sell that month because you've, you've warded off... The old-timey readers, like the, the guys who buy everything, because they're like, don't worry, this issue is all recap, you don't need this. Oh, I'm saying, though, to uh, to do both issues. Because it's not hard to do a clip show. Right. You can, you can have one author working on the clip show and have another author working on continuing the story. In the clip show, a lot of the pages are already inked. So really what we're saying is that, yes, this is a valid concern, but it, it's being addressed? Is that fair to say? Yes, but then arguably in like five years' time when those things are old and maybe harder to find, or you'll need to do them again, or at least reprint it and have a new marketing push behind them. Anyway, I feel like this one is a bit of a draw. Do you want to go yeah. to your number one? My number one is uh, that the Marvel... Universe just has to explain everything that's happening. It's it's like a a podcast where the <laughs> not there's any yeah where the writers for some reason feel like there is no actual art on the pages. They just have these blank boxes that doesn't actually show anything. It's just that all of the characters will constantly describe exactly what it is that's happening to them. In situations where you wouldn't imagine that they would be able to think about much except, ow, oh god, the pain. 
Okay, so my point here is that this is a somewhat dated argument. That's a very 1960s <laughs> trend. Like, I think after that, it, it dies away a bit, and it becomes less... Less like that. But, but what, are we, what are we talking about here? Like is, there, like, is there some uh, examples? Uh, well, so, you know, Storm will be like, oh, I will summon a cyclone in order to stop him. And in the panel, she's summoning a cyclone, as you can obviously see. And then in the next panel, she says, oh, no, he's reversed. He's deflected my cyclone back at me. Ah! And then, you know, you can see that she's caught up in the cyclone with the art. That kind of thing. I mean, or, like, reflecting lightning back. Oh, no, he reflected the lightning back at me. And I'm just like, how are you thinking this and not being in tremendous pain? Well, first of all, I think you're reading this a little too critically for what was essentially children's books at the time. <laughs> Secondly, uh, there, is a, there is a valid argument here. I, I, but, like I said, it's a bit of a dated one. I mean, I, in order to prepare for this, is, I read some, some like, a classic Spider-Man issue where he's fighting Doctor Doom, which is an unusual pairing. Mm. But... Uh, there was a, a panel where Doctor Doom opens a trap door under Spider-Man, and so Spider-Man's falling through the trap door, and Doctor Doom's saying, ah, I opened a trap door under you. And again, it's like, probably didn't need to say it explicitly, <laughs> like the art pretty much conveys that, but, uh, so you have a point there, but I think it's being addressed, and it doesn't typically happen these days. I don't know, I'm thinking... The f- when Ultimate X-Men first came out, like the first arc they did was Sentinels. Yeah. And there's a bit where a Sentinel picks Cyclops up, and he t- it takes him like two panels to be like, oh, you're pinning my arms to my side so I can't reach my visor. I guess you don't know that I secretly have a button that controls it in the palm of my hand. And he presses <laughs> it in the laser beam. And Ultimate X-Men was what, mid-90s? No, no mid-2000s. <laughs> it's, uh, I want to say issue six off the top of my head. It was one of the first things they did. Yeah. But like, that still does crop up. <laughs> I mean, obviously, yes. none of us have the actual like statistics. I, I, yeah, but but there's just something to be said about art speaking for itself. And okay, and, and and that you don't have to have text in every single panel. Like Marvel comics tend to have just a wall of text. I don't think it's a, a an exclusively <laughs> Marvel issue, though. First of all, it doesn't bother me that much, honestly. Second of all. It's not a Marvel issue, it's a comic book issue. It's like something that's inherent with comic books if the writer doesn't trust the artist. I think that it does come down to author and artist, that pairing. Yeah. But I've just found that it happens more often in Marvel than the DC comics that I'm reading. Or maybe I'm just reading the wrong ones or the right ones of these. I don't know, but it just seems to be more prevalent in one well, than the other. It's just something that I've noticed. I feel like I blew it's, my outrage wad on your uh, diversity checklist <laughs> thing, so it's hard for me to get worked up about this one. Uh, but sure, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you take that one. <laughs> but then, is that something that comes down to like an in, like to an author and artist team? Like, is there are there some teams that are better at that than others? Or I mean, I I I don't know. I mean. I, I can't speak to a specific example other than to say I've listened to interviews with Brian Michael Bendis, who's like the current voice of Marvel Comics and has been for a while. And he has been on record where he'll he said that if he looks at the art and finds that the art conveys what he had put in speech bubbles better than what he wrote he'll go through and remove the speech bubbles. Like, if he finds that the speech bubbles are now unnecessary because the art is so good, it conveys everything he wanted to say in the the text, he'll actually remove it. 
So mm. I'm saying there are instances where that does happen, but I can't speak to a specific example. All right. Well, we got to wrap up. But so where are we? So um, so I'm, I win is where we are. I win. Marvel's great. Let's go over our, our battle history <laughs> here. <laughs> you know, takedowns versus deaths. Uh, so five, you guys still hate each other and couldn't agree. That was the editor's notes thing. Uh, the roll call thing. I I think that was a bit of a stalemate. Roll call thing was yeah. a bit of a stalemate. Um, the diversity checklist. Graham's going to kill David. No. Well, I think he can conceded. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was full concede. Concede. Okay, so that's one. So we've got so sort of we have draw, draw, point for Graham, and then after that was the previously in, which was kind of a point for Dave, and then the inner monologue thing. Who are we giving that to? Well, I don't want Dave to win, so I'm going to say that one's a draw too. <laughs> I'd like to be invited back on this show. <laughs> so. <laughs> Geek Top 5 has determined that Marvel comics are not stupid nor fantastic. Um, <laughs> Geek Top 5 has not determined that. I just want to say that for the record. As of 50% of Geek Top 5, we are not going to be saying that. Okay, what are we saying? We're saying that I it's still, a complicated issue. I'm saying I still like Marvel. All right. Okay, fair enough. Despite its deficiencies. <laughs> okay, so... Let's wrap up. Yeah, okay. David, thank you for coming back and provoking Graham to blood rage. (sighs) (sighs) Warming up those old Krogan jeans. David Ansel, ladies and gentlemen. Special thanks to you for coming on the show. And special thanks to our crew, to Ben Sound, to Stella Simeonova for helping us put all this together. And special thanks to you. This especially, I mean, we've talked about, I feel like, more serious controversial topics. But this is a good one that gets people's blood up. We'd love to hear from you. Um... Let us know what you think about this list. Let us know what your opinions are on the topics. There's all kinds of ways to get a hold of us. You can go on geektop5.com where we've got sort of, um, not a message board, but comments on on all the episodes. You can go to facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. And we're on email at uh, geektop5 at gmail.com. You can rate us. You can love us on Podbean and iTunes, etc. We're all over the place. Do what you need to do. We'd love to hear your opinions. In the meantime, I'm Jesse, he's Graham, you've been listening to Geek Top 5, we'll talk to you again soon.